You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. First, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the one, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, they are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we have all been baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then second Ephesians five, fifteen to nineteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that we will what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I think this is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting with us this evening, hello. Great to have you. We are so glad that you're here. Love to meet you after our service. Get to know you a little bit more. Today is actually um, a day that many churches uh, around the world are actually commemorating something that uh, we wished we didn't have to. Um, This is... uh, what is commonly known as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And uh, we want to just take a moment as a church to pray over this issue uh, because we, be, we believe in the sanctity of life here uh, at our church. And here's what that means. We value all of life from the womb to the grave. All of, all of life. Um, the topic of sanctity of life typically revolves around the issue of abortion, and while that is one issue that we uh, are, are broken over and saddened over in, in our society, um, we also have, have uh, heavy hearts about any kind of injustice or marginalization of folks who uh, would be mistreated in, in ways that are uh, not good. And so uh, we just want to do this real quick tonight just to pray uh, to have our hearts agree together on the, the value of all people. Uh, and so I just want to invite you, if you don't mind where you're at with your heads bowed and eyes closed, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening grieved by what we see in many places in our country. A devaluing of life from the womb to the tomb. We affirm God that all people are created by you. All people are endowed by you with dignity and worth. They are created by your choice, in your image, for your glory. And we pray that this would be a home, a place where all human beings, those made in your image, would be welcomed in life and protected by the law. Father, you are the true king of the world. We ask that you would put men and women in high places that would value life in every stage. We pray that you would help the people in our church and the church 
to not see people as problems to be solved, but those made and gifted by you with a purpose. We pray that for everyone. And we pray that your church would be a place that doesn't just speak out against these things, but um, we would seek ways to put our words into actions. We pray that for mercy of you, God. Forgive us for so often living up to the criticism that we care only about babies and not kids, infants, not moms, and so on. Give us deep compassion towards those who've either survived an abortion or don't grasp how horrible this practice really is. Show compassion toward us, Lord. Many of us have been silent. Many of us have been apathetic. We pray that your church would be a place that doesn't just stand against abortion, but against all injustices towards human life. May we stand for children and the elderly and the poor and those with disabilities, the sick, the abused, the homeless, the refugees, for those enslaved, for those trafficked, for prisoners. Life is precious in whatever stage of life. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, protecting the vulnerable, working to end injustice, God, we are asking that you would bring revival so that work in the people of this land who have the idea of disrespecting your image bearers becomes an impossibility as people are changed by the gospel of Jesus. And may those revived utilize means to protect your precious creations, to stand up and say, no life is disposable. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. All right, we are in a multi-week series where we're looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The, the title of our series is called Third Person, The Present Power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing is we're looking at the ways in which the Holy Spirit is, is meant to be experienced in our lives as well as this church the church. And we've spent the last few weeks looking at a few ideas together. We began by looking at the big lofty idea that, that the Spirit is a part of the Trinity. It's the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit is God. We went on to talk about how our, our hearts are now the new temples of the Spirit's indwelling. And I think it was two weeks ago we talked about the Spirit's initiating role in salvation in which he awakens and energizes our heart to give us faith to then place our faith and trust in Jesus. And tonight we want to continue that conversation to talk about the ways in which the Spirit both works in our salvation and in our sanctification as we kind of build this picture out for, for you of who the Spirit is and what he does, what he is about. And as we do that tonight, I wanna to invite you to see one big thing, and it's this. The Spirit baptizes in full in salvation and fills us continually in sanctification. Let me just say that again. The Spirit baptizes us in full in salvation and fills us continually in sanctification. So if you have your Bible, look with me there at the passage you heard Ryan read first in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning there in, in verse 12. Actually, we're going to really look at verse 13. As you're going back there, um, pulling that up, um, let me just give you a little quick context of what's happening here. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing 
to a church that he helped start. Uh, many, uh, uh, much of the Old, uh, New Testament is Paul's writing to churches he either started or helped plant. And many times he would write these letters to his friends to encourage them, to bless them, to say, I, I'm really proud of you. I love you. I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see you doing. Uh, sometimes he would call to, or call, he would, <laughs> he would write to, to, uh, uh, to, to teach, to instruct. And then third, uh, many times he would uh, reach out to challenge and correct his friends. And that's really true for us in the, uh, the book of 1 uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is one of those letters that Paul actually does all of those things. But as we come to uh, chapters 12, 13, 14, he, uh, he wants to correct something that he, he doesn't think is wrong in and of itself. But he wants to say, hey, look, this is the right way to do this. And I want to show you what that looks like because I actually want you to do this in an orderly way, in a biblical way, in a way that um, honors the Lord. But you need some instruction. And I need to actually say, hey, some of what you're doing is way off base. And so that brings us to where we are here in our passage tonight. Now, I want you to look at verse 13 in particular here, if you would. Here is what it says again. Let me read it for us one more time. It says this. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So here, here's what Paul is saying. Baptism in the spirit is the act in which the spirit unites us to Jesus and his church. Right? And this is in particular happening uh, in what we would call conversion. When you are converted, when you are uh, saved from sin to, to life, when you experience God's redemption, you are then reconciliated back to God. That is all happening kind of around in the same time. Some of it's happening on top of each other. Some of it's at the same time. It's a mystery. But in conversion, this is what this, this verse is telling you. This is one of the things that's happening. The Spirit is uniting you with Jesus and his church. We are not individual Christians once we are converted, right? Doing our own thing in the local church. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are united by the Spirit. Paul is also saying, though, that this Spirit baptism is not a special experience for only a few people. Paul is talking about something that happens when anyone becomes a Christian, you are moved upon by the Spirit in such a way that you are brought to faith, united to Jesus, united to the church. And, and baptism is used as a word picture here to, to help us see that that's how the Spirit works this out. The way in which the Spirit unites you to him and uh, to the body of Christ is through baptism. You are baptized, you are immersed, you are submerged, you are engulfed into the Spirit and into the body of Christ when you are saved. So tonight, why is that important to say and why are we talking about this tonight? Well, we need to understand what we mean when we talk about what is known as the baptism of the Spirit. Actually, it must be said that the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't in the Bible. The Bible speaks of a baptism with or by or in the Holy Spirit. It, it doesn't refer to a, a baptism of the Spirit, but nonetheless, 
Paul is describing something for us here in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Spirit does in conversion, and Paul calls it baptism. So here's what this means. When you and I are saved by God, we get all of the Spirit at that time. We do not only get a a little bit of the Spirit or or most of the Spirit and, and somewhere need a subsequent baptism of the Spirit later. Spirit baptism happens when you are saved by God. So what do we make of places in the Scriptures where it seems like that's not true? What about places like John the Baptist's words in the Gospels and many places in in Acts, including Jesus' own words in Acts, that seem to indicate that there is more of the Spirit that is available to us after we are converted. In some faith traditions, uh, this is a theological flag that they have planted in the ground where a, a second baptism is a distinctive that everyone must experience. So which is it? Do we get all of the spirit at conversion or just a portion? How does this work? Well, to get at this, we actually need to look at the other passage that Ryan read in Ephesians 5. Let's let's just look at that real quick. If you would turn to Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18. Here's what it says. Ephesians 5, verse 18. It says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, who is Paul talking to here? Paul is talking to Christians. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, and he also wrote Ephesians 5. So what distinction, if at all, is Paul trying to make here? Is he saying that we are to be filled with more of the Spirit after we are saved? Didn't we just say we get all the Spirit when we are converted? Well, this key, I think, in particular, is key in untangling the question that is in front of us. And while we don't get too too much, uh, we don't want to get too much in the weeds here, um, I want to explain what is is happening here in in this this passage, what Paul is trying to do. In fact, a lot of times uh, in our, our preaching, you'll hear from time to time, that uh, in the original languages, so-and-so is saying this. We don't do that a lot here in this space, and it isn't because we don't care about the original languages as, as preachers. We are, in our preparation, are always looking at things like that. Um, but this happens to be a moment where we actually do need to say what Paul uh, is saying in its original language because it actually helps us out tremendously to help us untangle this. Um, when Paul says... Be filled with the Spirit. The words be filled is a kind of term that is called a present imperative. What is that? A present imperative means that it needs to be this read this way. Be continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, uh, Paul is saying that we should have an ongoing and repeated filling in the Spirit. So here we need to make a distinction. I think this is Paul's distinction if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and if you look here at Ephesians 5. First, you've already heard us say this, spirit baptism is a word picture that describes our experience of the Spirit at conversion. 
We are immersed. We are submerged in him, and we will now forever enjoy the, the presence and the power of God. But second, all Christians are baptized in the Spirit at the moment of their new birth, not subsequent to it. But here in Ephesians 5, we have a third thing that we have to say now. And you see this in other places, by the way, in the New Testament, Romans 5, uh, Romans 8, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, 3 and 5, Philippians 1. Though all of what we just said is true, Ephesians 5 is saying this, though all those things are, are spot on about what happens at our conversion in spirit baptism, this in no way restricts or should restrict the activity of the Spirit to only conversion. Are you with me? Let me, let me go a little bit further here. Here's another way to say it. Spirit baptism is an instantaneous, universal, unrepeatable, and permanent thing. All right? It has to do in particular with our conversion or our justification. Spirit filling is a metaphor that describes our continuous and ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit. Are you catching the two things we're talking about here? Spirit baptism and spirit filling. The spirit filling has to do with our sanctification. It's, it's the thing that, that is to continue to happen over a lifetime. If you're a believer, your growth in Christ, you can experience more and more of the Spirit in your life. I like how our friend and pastor Stan, uh, Sam Storm says it. He says, evangelicals are right in affirming that all Christians have experienced spirit baptism at conversion. They are wrong, though, in minimizing and sometimes even denying the reality of subsequent additional experiences of the Spirit in the course of the Christian life. And we really need to begin to wrap this up a little bit tonight because we've got something special we want to do here at the end of our service. But um, first, uh, I, I want to say this. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian... I believe that the Spirit has drawn you here in, in part maybe to woo you to God so that you might place your faith and trust in Jesus. It's no accident that you're here tonight. For the Spirit for you desires for you to believe in Him and to be justified, made right with God, to be engulfed in the love of of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the grace of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is God, and God is love, and God is perfect in His love. And this is a love that you can have. It's a love that will never leave you or forsake you, a love that will always be there for you, a love that will be uh, near to you and buoy you up in your own times of suffering. A love that will be a refuge and a shelter for you. A love that, that, that means you're accepted fully, that you belong fully to God, to someone whose love is perfect and there's nothing that you could ever do to lose that love. I want to ask you, even in this moment right here, 
to call out to the Holy Spirit and say, come, Holy Spirit, save me. And if what we just said is true, you tonight get to experience what is known as spirit baptism. You are now engulfed, immersed in the love of the Spirit who is God. And that love, friends, is perfect. If you are thinking about that, if you've made that decision even in this moment or you'd like to talk more about that here in just a moment after our service, I would be honored to chat with you. I'll be down down here up front and I'd love to talk with you about what it means to place our faith and trust in Jesus, to allow the Spirit to, to do that work in us. For many of us here tonight, we are believers. But you might say, Brad, I'm dry spiritually. I can't remember a time when, when I, I've been so deeply moved by the gospel that it, it, it moved me to tears. You might say, Brad, there was a time when, when the Spirit was so precious to me and I, I felt near to him. and It's not true as much anymore for me, Brad. Some of you, I think, tonight may need to consider, have I actually been baptized by the Spirit in conversion? Does my life reflect a life that has been immersed in the Spirit in salvation? If not, you may need to do what I just asked the previous group to do, which is to call out to the Spirit, say, come, Holy Spirit, save me. Save me. For most of us here this evening, the reason that our spiritual lives are dry, the, the reason that um, our, our spiritual lives and maybe even our, our uh, experience in community in the body uh, is dry, lacks richness, or, or maybe you just feel powerless, isn't that you lack the Holy Spirit. It isn't that you haven't been baptized by the Spirit. But some of you are neglecting him. Some of you are not allowing that still small voice of the Spirit to convict you of sin. Some of you have dis, uh, depersonalized him. You, you, you don't see the Spirit as God, but rather this sort of um, enigma, this force, this power that's sort of out there. You, you may treat the Spirit as an it when it's a, it's a he Maybe you've assumed that you can get along well enough under your own power. You've assumed that because you were baptized in the Spirit at one time in your life that you're good. There is no need for more of the Spirit to fill you. And unfortunately for some of us, the reason that we feel like that our spiritual lives are are dry and they lack richness and lack power is because we've grieved the Spirit. That's a thing, by the way. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of us are resisting the the Spirit, resisting the way in which the Spirit wants us to use our gifts to, to, to serve and to bless others, and we have, in doing so, have quenched the Spirit, which is also a thing. We can, you and I, can quench the Spirit. Friend, for you, if that's you, 
What you need is for the Spirit to energize your heart, to awaken your soul, to empower your will, to inflame your affections again, to enlighten your mind so you might again see and savor the beauty of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's, like the biggest thing that he wants to do. He wants to help you see and savor the beauty of Jesus. Because the Spirit knows that's it. Like if we can see him, if we can see Jesus, savor him, see him in his beauty, it answers so many of our problems so many of our issues. And so I want to ask you to do something. This is a word picture, but I want you to envision this, particularly as we uh, worship together here in just a moment, just with your own heart and your own spirit. If you're a believer, I want you to imagine dipping your cup into the pool of his presence and his power and drink again. It, it's possible to be baptized in, in the Spirit, to experience the uh, indwelling, permanent indwelling of the Spirit, but not be continually filled with the Spirit. For no matter how much of the Holy Spirit you might have, there is always room for more. We are commanded to be continually filled with the Spirit. Maybe this word picture will help as we worship together. Dip your bucket tonight into the well of the Spirit and drink again. Be filled and experience His supernatural power in your life. The Spirit baptizes in full and conversion but the Spirit desires to fill us continually in sanctification. Let's pray together.